29. 25, bros. Oh, 25. We're live now, Tiora. Why? We're live. Wait. We're live for Jungle Ball, the JB podcast, JB Tribe podcast. JB cast. JB cast. We're live on the JB cast. And uh, we are JB cast number 25, not nine. <laughs> 25, <laughs> two five. And uh, we're here with Chad Rogers. Uh, Chad uh, is, is one of the very few personal trainers that uh, makes a, a lucrative living and um, very passionate about what he does, travels the world doing what he does. Um, we've got a topic of conversation that we'll be coming back to through this podcast, which is all about gaining lean muscle mass. The holy grail. The mass. gains, bro. The gains. Mass. <laughs> All mass. And it's a question we get asked regularly in the gym. And we're not, we're not, uh, it's not our, it's not our, it doesn't come across in our ethos about building muscle, but uh, it's ingrained in what we do. And um, it's, uh, it'll be good to talk to one of the experts about it and see if we can bust up some of the myths and, and uh, get a different perspective on a certain style of training. So, Chad, do you want to give us a little bit of a background on yourself and where you come from and what you do? Um, yeah, so I've been a trainer for a long while, um, I think 14 years. Um, I started in uh, Newcastle, small town, well, not small town, pretty big town, um, north of Sydney, and um, I worked in like a performance centre where basically athletes came in to get rehabbed they were given a program by um, a physio and I just kind of babysitted them through that program. Um, I think that helped me a lot because most trainers tend to go from Cert 3, Cert 4 into a big box gym, commercial gym, um, not probably really knowing enough to be able to uh, do anything substantial. So before I was let loose on... Um, my first big box gym experience was Darlinghurst Fitness First. It's where we met. Yeah. Um, I did that grounding in basically um, an environment where I had a compliant client and I had a physiotherapy-designed program. Uh, and I think that helped me a lot. Um, it's definitely a very unique starting point for a PT. We were I was talking to you, uh, we were discussing a very similar um, scenario with Paul uh, yesterday. He was talking about a client of his that came to him, wants to put on some muscle mass, and Paul was talking about laying down some, some form of foundation before you start to clad on the muscle. Would you look at like that, that, that original form, like a physio program that you had, as, would you use it as a tool like that or is um. it... Or was it just an insight into... I will tell you now that it's a lot... 14 years ago is a long time, right? Yeah. So a lot of stuff has changed since then. Um, and also, I tend to believe that your field of vision is what affects your um, style of what you do, yeah? So physios tend to see people with injuries. So physios would say they would view the shoulder as a fragile joint, right? Now, you guys are... Because I only see broken ones. Yeah. yeah. So you guys are doing jiu-jitsu, you're flop, flipping people around, you're, you're um, you know, Hands doing dance. your um, 
probably yeah, overhead lifts. You guys do the compound, yeah. compounds and the Olympic lifting. I don't yeah. really do that. Um, you're doing handstands and you guys are maybe thinking the shoulder, you know, it's not that fragile. Pretty robust joint, really. Yeah. It might be the most mobile joint in the body and you could possibly argue that it's the most fragile joint in the body. But is it a fragile joint? My answer would be like, fuck no. Like, look at MMA, look at rugby league. You know, yeah, you get a lot of shoulder injuries, but you got a 120 kilo dude crashing into your shoulder. If it was that fragile joint, everyone would be walking off halfway through the mat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Injured. So I think, yeah, physio is, is something um, that you should be working with allied health on, on all levels. Even the best PTs in the world should be collaborating. There's not enough of that. But I do think that you get uh, a, a clash of physios are basically designed to get you out of pain. Whereas my specialty is I want my client to be able to bench 140. So you're looking at, I need you to have a healthy shoulder to do that, don't I? Yeah. But the way I look at you getting a healthy shoulder is completely different to the way a physio would view a healthy shoulder. I and think probably different to the way w that we would uh, take the same process or the same... Yeah. Yeah. See, in my opinion, um, you only need as much mobility uh, that's appropriate to what you want to do. So you could argue probably that if I want to maximise hypertrophy and I want to bench 200, then I'm probably better off to be a bit less mobile. Yeah. For the, for the newer individuals out there, we're talking hypertrophy, we're talking muscle growth. Yeah, so... Which, could I, just to, sorry to butt in, could we say that that is, would you say that's your specialty, muscle growth, or would you say more of the strength aspect? <sighs> just to give a bit of a, a bit of context there. I don't like to box myself in like that, because I do, I get bored doing one thing, you know, so I train athletes, I train rehab... I don't really have a specialty. Yeah. I mean, I would get bored doing the same thing over and over again. So I like to challenge myself by doing lots of different stuff. There's certainly a lot better bodybuilding coaches than me because they specialise in that. Um, there's certainly a lot better strength and conditioning coaches than me, people like Clint, who I'm yeah. sure you guys have a thing with. We know Clint, yeah. Shout out Clint um, Hill. You know, so... Um, I blend, you know, because I get bored. So I wouldn't class myself as a bodybuilding or a hypertrophy coach or a rehab coach or a, I kind of do a blend of everything because that's just – I don't really want to um, have a niche. I want to get bored. Yeah. I think that makes me a better coach, but, you know, like if my client's prepping for a comp and he gets injured, I've got a bit of an idea – how I might be able to train around it. Yeah. Whereas if I'm just a purely a bodybuilding prep coach and I'm looking at things like train uh, through it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, may, I'm maybe not as not as able to help them in that regard. So yeah, there's definitely people who specialise in all those fields who are a lot better than me. But the big thing is I collaborate with those kind of people. Right. So you know I got coaches like people like. Chris Thomas, Charlie Duca, that I'm not scared to go, okay, I don't know this, so I'm going to ask them what their take would be on that or 
you know, if I wanted to ask clearly. Charlie Duke is a, a bodybuild, strictly bodybuilding coach. Well, would you pretty say? much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would say that, but the tradition. Charlie is to me more of a, a people person. So yeah, he's one of the best bodybuilding coaches out there. But Charlie's just the kind of person who knows people. Get the best out of them. Yeah, no yeah. matter what. He, to me, he was like a father figure. Yeah, he just someone that, yeah, is um, incredibly motivating to be around. And I think that's probably one of the things that um, makes him good at coaching anyone, is even though he might be a specialist bodybuilding type trainer, he's the kind of person who, I mean, you guys are four, world, four times world champion. You know, yeah, you well. come to the train with a four times world champion, you're going to push that bit harder just that respect level from someone who's achieved something like that is... World champion what? Uh, world champion bodybuilder. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and IFBB Pro and, yeah, he's, you know. So, yeah, if you train with someone that's got charisma or that has a, a really good record and that it's kind of motivating you to train a bit harder. So, I think that's another reason why I'm a big believer in trainers should look a certain way. You know? Yeah. If you want to... Like, I, I don't compete. But, obviously, if people are going to come to me looking for a coach who might be able to get them on stage, then I don't want to look like fat and don't train. If you yeah. haven't seen a picture of Chad on our Instagram yet, he's about double my width <laughs> and a uh. triple my thickness and probably quite a few percent body fat percentage <laughs> less than... <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I've been the same... Like... You would have known me before too. I, yeah. I, I've probably had this similar condition and similar size, you know, for 10, 20 years, you know. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, I'm not going on stage, but I'm never out of shape. And I think that that's a personal choice for me because I like that, but I think it gives you credibility. Yeah. You know, yeah, I agree. I think we we're, we feel the same way. Well, it just means you're practising what you preach. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, do I want to go to a dentist who's got tooth decay visible? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be walking straight out of that dentist, wouldn't I? So, I don't know. You, you, you can argue that technically if you're a good coach, you're a good coach, of course. But I think you just have a little bit more credibility if you look the part. So, Joey was uh, talking about hypertrophy. Um, and what what is that, what exactly is it? Like on a on a... On a doesn't have to be a cellular level, but what's happening when, when your body well, goes let's into keep, hypertrophy? Keep it simple for everyone. It's basically you've got more, you know, you can call it muscle protein synthesis versus muscle protein breakdown. And you're trying to have more of one than the other. But let's keep it simple for everyone. We're saying we're having more repair than we are damage. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the body adapts to things. So you hurt the body and the body adapts by getting... Increased muscle. Uh, you know, or the body adapts. Like scar tissue is a thickening of the skin, isn't it? You know? So basically you cause a stress in the body. The body reacts really to that stress. So hypertrophy is probably summed up as a balance between your repair is exceeding your damage. That's probably a real simple way to put it for everyone. Which I think. in sort of simple terms means that you're getting, you're building more muscle. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to, 
by damaging have, damaging muscle to build yeah, more muscle. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it gets complicated because yeah. um, there's different methods of hypertrophy. Um, so don't always have to damage your muscle to grow yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's definitely when you're looking at those higher rep ranges, you're looking at a different type of hypertrophy, and then you've got different things like tension and that that come into the equation so people tend to normally view hypertrophy as oh i damaged the muscle i tore it down mm. and it repaired itself stronger well there's a lot of theories and there's four main reasons you get bigger but i think to keep it for simple for everyone you're looking at creating more uh repair than you are or more growth than you are damage or your your growth exceeding your stimulus or You've got just enough stimulus to cause the body to be able to adapt to that. Yeah. So, what? Uh, so, when when we talk hypertrophy, what? And this is something that you specialise in. Are your what are what are the what would you say are the the key components? Because I mean, everyone's looking for that secret secret sauce. You know, volume is number one. Yeah. Volume. Yeah. Give it some, a little so, more information on that. If I was looking at just strength, just progressive overload, right? Yeah, yeah. Progressive overload means getting stronger, yeah? So I could squat one set of two reps per week and I could progress that every week, but I'd never get any bigger. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you'd be getting stronger, but not bigger. Yeah. You know, you probably would find it hard to even get stronger with that little volume, yeah? Yeah. So you're probably looking at volumes, you know, on one thing. You know, you need to be doing enough sets. And then the next thing would be the intensity or the progressive overload. Okay, so you need the foot, you need to do enough exercises and then they need to be done at enough uh, intensity or in a progressive phase. And then you're looking at the frequency after that. So how many times can you do that to maximise that? So. I mean, really, if I can train a body part three times a week, uh, that's frequency, and I can get away with that frequency, then I'm going to create more growth, aren't I? Right. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it's it's hard, but I, I would say volumes, you know, one thing. If you don't do enough reps and enough sets, you're never going to grow, and then the sets have to be hard enough, and then you've got to look at, okay, so how many sets can I do before it becomes a problem and I can't repair or progress? Yeah, and that, that's why that is uh, varies wildly from person to person, depending mm. on so many things. Uh, depends on their lifestyle, their nutrition, <clears throat> their stress levels, their, whether they're injury prone or not. There's so many variables that Gene. come into play. Genetics, number one. Yeah, well, right, genetics don't count for shit. <laughs> you know? Says the white guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so. <laughs> There's lots of different factors, but for me, volume. You need to be doing enough sets, right? And enough um, yeah, sets on a particular <coughs> body part. The old adage of um, oh, if you squat, you'll get bigger all over in the body. This is completely not true. You know, if you're not training a muscle, it won't grow. Can I, can I ask you, like, um, when you have new clients looking for this goal? Um, is it, is it difficult? Like, can you just speak on like some of the experiences you have with 
getting them off and started, given that, like you said, there's quite a few methods of building muscle and you have there's so many different factors. No. You find it takes like a whole bunch of sessions of trial and error and digging in the history and or is that or do you find like you've done it so much now it's it's easy for you to tell what's you know Usually like, Usually at first it's pretty easy because it's just a change. Yeah. So if I've been doing a single body part split um, and I've been training, typical one is oh, I've been doing the body part split 12 to 14 reps for the last three years and I'll stop growing. So it's easy to get a change in that person because mm. you might just go, all right, we're going to do high reps and we're going to train twice a week. And just because that stimulus is so different, um, Instantly, you get a change. Everyone's like, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a miracle working," and I was like, "Well, no, you just created a completely different stimulus, and of course, that's going to work." Mm. I think the difficult bit comes in. All right, so four or five programs down the track, how do you keep growing? Keep growing. Yeah. So yeah, the first time it's usually pretty simple um, because you just look at, okay, the person was doing this. If I do something different, it's going to cause a change. How about for um, okay? I guess that's the same for uh, people, first timers, who yep. who haven't come from a plateau or anything, and they're just yeah. like, okay, I'm starting from ground zero here. I guess that's different there. You got your newbie gains, you know. So, yeah. Um, newbie gains. Newbie yeah. Gains. <laughs> when you're a newbie, any program works, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you got a newbie who's never trained before. If he does push-ups, he'll get a bigger chest. We can get some growth in the chest, mm. you know. So, but if you've got a bodybuilder and you bring him in, he does push-ups, well, you know, if he can bench 140, the push-ups aren't going to do anything, are they? Mm. So, yeah, with a new person, I think one of the big things that trainers make mistakes is they make a beginner's program difficult. It's like, dude, where are you going to go in four weeks or mm. eight weeks or 12 weeks when you've already given them a complicated program to start with? Mm. You know, mate, if I'm a beginner and I do chin-ups, walking lunges and push-ups, boom, bang, off we go. That's that's great. More likely to stick with it and f- see it through. Well, it's just part of the problem is people don't <coughs> look at getting better, you know. Where's the progress down the track? So if I ch- chop and change all the time, how do I actually get better at pull-ups? How do I actually get better at deadlifts, you know? Yeah. Because I'm chopping and changing my program. And I think a lot of trainers are they're entertaining their clients, you know? What do you want to do this week? Let's do something new. Well, that's great, you know? Um, and sometimes that actually creates a lot of soreness because it's a new movement pattern. But, you know, that's not the same as grinding out and going from a 120 deadlift to a 240 deadlift over six months. That's where you're going to get your big change. Mm. But that's not as much fun as... It sounds <laughs> fucking ho- horrible to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that in a way, I think one of the things I've done lately is my programs are a lot more simple than they used to be. Mm. Um, you know, and I don't really do the drop sets and the supersets and all that kind of stuff. I just look at basic straight sets with a really long rest break. How long? Um, it depends, you know, probably. For someone like me, I reckon I need about six minutes on a lot of big compounds. Holy shit. Oof. 
What kind of numbers are you lifting to have to like grace off a, re- a rest period like that? <coughs> can I just ask you? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Can you just lean into the mic a little bit more? Okay, yeah, get cool. in there. Um, yeah. Look, I'm not the strongest guy. I never have been because a little bit injury prone from when I played rugby union. But my max maxes are a two forty deadlift, a one sixty five bench. Uh, and I don't really squat because I get sore knees, but I've squatted 180 before. So they're not big numbers at all. But They're big numbers in our gym. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, depends who you hang out with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like Up to my jiu-jitsu at, class. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I could say <laughs> I'm doing dips with two 20-kilo plates and then I'm doing uh, 120-kilo incline bench press then I'm doing... The stack on cable row and you know you're accumulating a fair bit of fatigue through especially the shoulder joint and things like that by consistently doing numbers like that you know so mm. um yeah i mean i get um uh for me i would say i've maxed out my size um potential as well yeah i don't think i could get much bigger yeah, so... Could I ask, um, you were saying before about the, you know, for um, figuring out those three things, the volume and the intensity and the frequency and, you know, if you have the right sort of uh, mix or, you know, you set those variables up correctly, then the person, you know, should gain mass outside of the gym. So besides the training itself, what are the other, like if you boil it down, what are the other areas that are required in order to gain muscle mass? Well, most people would look straight away at protein. But I think, you know, there's not many people that, you know, besides maybe women who are new to training, I don't think there's many people that don't get enough protein, you know. So if you ask me, the number one thing I would look at would be recovery and rest uh, and nutrients. Yeah, because I just think, you know, every dude's straight onto his protein shake the minute he walks out of the gym. Even that's almost funny enough where people tend to start. I'm not training hard, but I've gone to the gym and I've got some protein powder. <laughs> 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 you know? It's easy so, to buy. So I don't think um, that um, many people need to look at their protein. I think most people are having adequate protein. Um, so if you asked me, you know, I'd be looking at water intake and sleep. Quality of the sleep and yeah, you stress know. levels and... And that tends to be... How much, how much sleep in general is someone looking for? Well, geez, I reckon as much as you can. If you're training really hard, life's stressful, isn't it? How many people would you know that have too much sleep? Besides Marco. Marco. Else. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Marco. I would <laughs> say you... I think sleep is the new frontier, man. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I think sleep is the We're the coming thing back to it. ...that... People are going to be looking at a lot in the next couple of years. Sleep gyms, they're out there. There's fads, yeah, you know. We always go through fads of whatever's popular at the time, but... Sleep is not going to be a... Hang on. This last chat. We're back. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, you know... Sleep is the new frontier, you're saying? Yeah, and I think... So when you sit down with your average person that wants to put on muscle, yeah, the first thing they tend to look at is um, the exercises. How much training you're going to do. No, but the particular exercises. Okay, yeah. 
And is this a muscle building exercise? And things like um, supplements, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, um, to me, they're like, you know, right down the track. Like, yeah, if I do, say, hip thrust, which is a great exercise for a female's for the butt, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm not sleeping right, if I don't drink enough water, if I don't have nutrition right, if I don't have the frequency, like if I do hip thrust once a month, it's not going to do anything. Uh, if I don't have the volume, so if I'm not doing more than one rep of hip thrust, then it doesn't matter how good the exercise is. Uh, so when you look at the things that most people look at are the exercise selection and supplements, to me they're probably the least important things. You know what I mean? Like if you if you if I got a good bodybuilder and we just did say deadlift, seated row, and incline bench press, and we smashed it on those, and we had different frequencies throughout the week on those three exercises, and he ate perfect and he slept perfect, he probably do a lot better than most people would on a complicated program. Interesting. You know what I mean? Mm. So I just think that people look at the the wrong things. And place the most important thing on the most important things my protein shake, and if I'm doing an incline dumbbell curl, yeah. Whereas to me, the most important thing is: Are you sleeping, and do you have enough water? Assuming that the training is in place correctly. Yeah. 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 Well, really, if the training's in place correctly, but they're not looking at the simple things, and they're nowhere near going to reach their potential. Yeah. What about um? Sorry to cut. What about on top of that the quantity of food? Do you do you find? I mean, because I just noticed, say within within our you know within our community, because because we're not because bodybuilding as a as a culture is not a strong doesn't have a strong influence here. Eating you know eating sort of, uh, I would say bodybuilders eat a lot. If I you know if we were to generalize, right? Eating yep. is a big part of the of the pursuit. So it's, it's usually, it's something you need to be disciplined around. And I think most people who are trying to put on mass find that really hard. Do you, you know, to eat that much? Yeah, so then you get into, you get into the more elite field, right? So your average gym goer doesn't need to eat that much. Because they just don't train hard enough. And they're not, um, you know, when you start to throw steroids and things to the mix and... Uh, and yeah, you're creating a different environment where you need a lot more of everything, you know. Uh, except for protein, but we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, I think, you know, how many guys in the gym do you know that are growing well, but they take their shirt off and they look great? So I would argue that most people <coughs> are probably carrying a little bit too much body fat and they're eating too much. There's not many guys out there you see that are... How many people do you see that are shredded, that are natural, that are growing? You know, mm. there's plenty of bulky guys that look good with a shirt on, <laughs> that are throwing around some heavy weights in the gym, that are probably eating too much. You know what I mean? It's a bit of a paradox though, isn't it? To, to get the body to grow, but not put on body fat. I guess that's the, that's the puzzle when you're dealing yeah. with, this, with a... With a with a bodybuilder that wants to go in a competition? That's what I think. You've got to go through phases. Right. So you've got to have distinct phases, you know, where you, right, for the next 12 weeks we're getting bigger. And then we go through a phase where, yeah, we lean out a little bit and we have a look at what we've done. 
Uh, you cut. And we make sure we don't accumulate too much fat that way. So, yeah, I think also, you know, your body adapts to whatever you're doing. So it's good to go through cycles of, uh, okay, this is all about hypertrophy. Okay, now we're trying to get a bit leaner. So let's say you've got all your macros in place. You've, you've, you set your calories or whatever it is and that's all in place and the training's in place. What's your take on, on supplementation and where, where does that fit in with, say, your clients and, and yourself? Oh, it's a very small part, yeah. So sometimes you, yeah, you look at something like a protein shake, well, they taste nice and they're real easy. So when it comes to um, making everything nice and easy to follow, it's a good choice. You know, if I blend up a banana, some honey and a protein shake, that's going to taste like a beautiful, yeah? The yeah. flavours I have now are really good. Uh, and if you've got a busy person, that's going to help them to hit their calorie target very easily. So for convenience, something like that's really good. But apart from creatine and then you've you got your vitamin D or uh, magnesium and a few other little things like that. Um, What's a vitamin D for? Uh, vitamin do D it? does a lot of things, you know. I just think that um, people don't get enough sun exposure to get adequate levels of vitamin D. So the two main supplements that you're going to find deficiencies in in Western society, are, or Western society, Middle East, and a lot of cultures is vitamin D and magnesium. So almost all my clients will be taking those two things. The vitamin D one's super interesting. I remember when I had my a skin cancer check, I was talking to the doctor about that, and he said, yeah, most Australians are deficient in vitamin D, but... Yeah we have a problem with skin cancers. Mm. It was like, fuck. So he didn't, you know, he didn't see a solution. Yeah, so I think supplementation is your solution with that one. That's a pill form? Uh, yeah, Vitamin pill D. or a drop. Right. Yeah, I tend to go pretty high on that too, you know. Maybe 2,000 to 4,000 IU, depending, um, every second day. So that's like a couple of pills or? Oh, yeah, or drops. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, I do every second day, um, so it's a fat-soluble vitamin, so you tend to store it a little bit better than a water-soluble vitamin. Uh, also, I think sun exposure is a little bit up and down. You know, and the weather changes. Um, some days it's cloudy, some days it's not, some days it's outside, some days it's not. So to me, a more natural way to expose yourself to vitamin D if you were trying to copy what you would get in normal life is that kind of some days you get a bit more sun some days you don't what about all the other stuff you know you, you walk into a to a, like an asn or oh, yeah. muscle mart or whatever it is and there's just fucking aisles and aisles big and dudes and aisles. heaps of products yeah uh, yeah and every stuff. product you're like fuck i feel like i need it <laughs> what does it do probably it's got some jack guy on the front <laughs> yeah. shredded Probably you have mirrors in there. You yeah. Look at yourself. <laughs> <Skin> <laughs> mirrors. Uh, like a mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not necessary for most people. Yeah, man, you got to look at your food. You know, we want to get what we can from our food primarily. You know, it's different. There's so many advantages. Like, I mean, you got your thermogenic effect of food. The amount of um, calories you burn digesting food. Yeah. So you look at a steak, you know, compared to a protein shake. 
and you look at all the good stuff you get in the steak compared to a bone show, and then you look at that thermic effect of food and you're thinking, you know, it's one of the reasons why I really don't like it if it fits your macros because you can't compare 40 grams of protein from a steak to 40 grams of protein from a protein show. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. It's nowhere, nowhere near the same thing. Yeah, and you'll find the good bodybuilders, man. They're all eating food. You know, you see them with their Tupperware and... That's the discipline, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> training yeah. hard's easy. They're getting uh, the majority of their nutrients from food. They might be doing their supplement ads for their sponsor. Yeah. But, you know, what's making them grow is the steak and the chicken and the rice. Not the test booster or the, well, you know, the shake. Can I ask about um, amino acids? Hoax or not? Oh, totally. I don't believe in amino acids at all. There's a lot of reasons why. I think your body needs a whole protein to make muscle. So picking out a few aminos and putting them into the body and expecting the body to make muscle without the full spectrum of aminos is kind of a bit of a fucking confusion for the body, really. Mm. Yeah, so definitely not a fan of aminos. For me, I think if you were going to have a protein, you'd have your whole protein and preferably from whole food. Yeah. So for someone starting out, if you need the protein powder, get your diet in place first. Yeah. If you need the protein powder for – if you can't get your shit together to get, get your, your food yeah. prepped, then have something there available to make up the, the deficit. Yeah. Magnesium. Definitely. Vitamin D. Yep. That's it. Yeah, maybe Nothing fish oil. Fish oil. Yeah, those three are pretty much standard. Can you tell, tell us about the magnesium? I know we sell that. I use it. We recommend it to everyone. Every coach that I've ever respected has recommended, you know, a naturopath or doctor has said use magnesium. Yep. Do you know why it is that we are deficient in it these days? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's, I'm not like an agriculturalist, but I'll give you an anecdotal um, explanation for that, right? So I go to Thailand a lot and you eat the fruit and the vegetables over there, it tastes totally different. You know, like you eat a mango over there, it's half the size and tastes completely different. Mm. You eat pineapple over there, it's this incredibly sweet, juicy... It's like in Fiji. Pineapple you know, and I think a lot of stuff over there is grown more naturally. So I think, you know, and, and there is research that says that there is not the same quality or quantity of micronutrients in the food now as there used to be. Yeah. So, you know, we were getting these things in our diet or we were working outside, we were doing more manual labour, so we were getting exposed to vitamin D more and we mm. had a, a better source of food that had a more in it. More nutrient as far dense. As a, yeah, so I think that's where your requirements for those kind of things come from. Mm. In a perfect world, you'd, you wouldn't think you needed any supplements, would you, you know? Mm. But this is not the case. So, and I think, um, yeah, especially things like iron and things you want to not just chuck it in. You probably want to get blood work done before you start um, throwing a whole heap of supplements to someone as well. You know, it's not that difficult. It's something I'm surprised more people don't do. You know, blood work. Yeah, I've never done it before. You know, like what's your body? Well, once or twice a year, you get your bloods done. I think... Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I've never done it before in my life. Especially as you kind get like older. like an oil check. 
especially as you get older, like, you know, how often do you take your car in for a service? You Regularly. Know? But you don't have to keep blood work done. It's crazy, you know? So... Where do you get it done? It's a good right, point. I think, point. I feel like it's the... Uh, that the thing is with the car, it's easy. You take it in, you give it to the mechanic, they deal with it, they give it back to you, pay them. When you, you do your blood work, you go in, you get given the data, they tell you the thing and then you're like, all right, now I've got to go about changing habits or buying some, you know, buying some supplements. And, and I think that side of the things is just, it's a bit of a hill for people and it's like, oh, fuck it. And yeah, the but longer you leave that. it, the more, the more chance there is that you're going to hear something you don't want to hear as well. It's you know? true. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can get another car... You know, easy. Yeah. yeah. You can't get another body. You know, most, Not yet. most people know more. <laughs> of, most people know more about their mobile phone than they do about what they put in their mouth. That's true. And that's crazy. Mm. So you know, I think it's beyond most PTs to delve into that for starters, right? But you know, I think if you get a progressive GP. And you get some blood work done. It's it's a good place to start. And then if you're a PT, you might want to enter into a dialogue in uh, a very conciliatory way with the doctor. Of okay, doc, thanks for your help with the blood test. What's your advice? And are then, we talking like on a client basis? Yeah, client, yeah. So I, I mean, I'll even go to the doctors with my clients sometimes and sit down and talk to the doctor and go, "What can we do, doc?" You know, mm-hmm. and doctor's like, whoa, this never happened to me before, you know. And I'm thinking, well, it makes sense to me. Collaboration. Yeah, it's interesting because there's, there's a bit of a rift between what we do as coaches and and what uh, medical practitioners do. But r- really, is, uh, we both have the same intention. Mm. I guess we're more towards the side of, um, or we look at ourselves as preventative, whereas they're de- looking for cures for things that are already te- be, uh, already happened or the things that are already kind of wrong with somebody. Yeah, they're reacting. Yeah. You're already sick. Yeah. <laughs> so let's not get sick in the first place, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if there's much money in that. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, you know, getting your blood work done regularly may help to prevent sickness or it may help you to prevent something you have that comes up in your blood work from getting worse or so yeah I, I think you send clients to me um, you know and I'm not looking at it alright how much can I smash you and you know I'm looking at it alright do you sleep good do you drink enough water um, do you have a good sex drive I think sex drive is important you know if a female has a low sex drive to me that's a high indication of something wrong how, how, how would our species live if we as a species had a low sex drive? We wouldn't survive. How do you test for that with your clients? We just ask them, you know. You get in the morning glory. Yeah, that's a really good one, yeah. bro. You know, if your testosterone is optimal, <laughs> you're waking up with a heart on, bro. The teepee? You know, you should oh, be. Sleep uh, naked. <laughs> I know um, I do. I know I do. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you guys a <laughs> So when someone walks in, you know, I mean, it would be great if you go, right, go get the pathology done, go get your physio to have a look at your body and then I've got a pathology report, I've got a DEXA scan, I've got a physio report. That would be the optimal scenario. Mm. You've got all this data before you even start. And that would 
that's what really what should happen. How often do you get that? Well, I used to do that a lot in Sydney. You used to kind of demand it when yeah. with certain cli- with yeah. clients, like I'll work with yeah. you on these conditions. Yes. You do it right. Yeah. I used to do that a lot. It gets people to opt in a lot yeah. too. Like if you do that, if you go out and it's get all commitment. those tests, it's a fuck commitment. It's like, right. Yeah. yeah no. But you got to look at, all right, I was working in Darlinghurst. You had um, a high incidence of gay clients who are right into their body. Bigger chest and bigger butt. And they're also um, dual income, no kids. They're, you're looking at, they've got the money for that, yeah? More time on the hands. So, you know, if you're looking at your average client who's walking into any time fitness in Parramatta and you say to him, all right, go and get all these tests done before we start training, you're not going to have a client, are you, you know? And also then you've got to look at training age too. So if I'm someone like me, like if you went off the guidelines from Fitness Australia, um, I'm over 45, I have a history of um, heart disease in my family... Technically, as far as Fitness Australia is concerned, I should have a doctor's clearance before you start coaching me. Yeah. Now, dude, I've been training for 20 years, you know, and you want me to go to the doctors before I start training with you. Mm. You know, that, so you've got you to factor in training age to that and some common sense. Because you know what I mean? Mm. If someone has a high training age, what, why would they need to go and get a doctor's consent before they train? But... So those guidelines are something that need to be a bit more flexible as far as what, you know, you look at before you send someone for tests. But you can't have too much tests, you know, I don't think. It's a fun, it makes me think about often when you get, um, when we get new people starting here and they go through their foundation program with us, so they do some, some one-on-one sessions. And, you, and oftentimes the first thing that they'll say, they'll turn up for the first session and they'll kind of have this expectation that you're going to smash them. And they'll be like, oh, I bet you're going to smash me today. Or, oh, nice. I just know today's going to be horrible. And you know that they're talking, you know, because of prior experiences that they've had with PTs. And we're always like, no, nah, actually, today's going to be super mellow. We're going to talk a whole bunch. We're going to do a few tests. We're going to find out where you're at. You know, how you move before we get into anything that's even remotely intense. Um, and they're like, oh, like they're a little bit surprised by it. But it, it always makes me think that that standard gym PT thing where it's like you come to me for a session and I'm going to fucking wreck you on the treadmill and cardio circuits and in a way I'm like, fuck, those kinds of PTs probably should get doctor's clearance <laughs> because if, you t- if you're taking someone that's severely out of shape yeah. and just you know like pushing them to the absolute limit, bad shit could happen. Mm. I think you always got to look at it less as more, you know. So if I can buy a TV for... 600 bucks or 800 bucks and it's the same TV, then I'm buying the $600 one, you know. So if I can get results with less training and less weight, then that's probably a good way to start because that gives me room to move and that gives me a safety buffer in regard to injury prevention. So, yeah, I think that's one thing that people make the big mistake is they... You know, they start people off, right, we're going to do a five-day program. Like, if you've never trained before, you should probably one or two days a week to start off with for the first month. And, yeah, you won't be able to walk probably. So if someone's coming to a PT and they've never trained before and they get a four-day program from day one, that's crazy. You know? Yeah. They need to back off, learn how to move, 
and just do one or two days a week and they'll progress from that. And then when they stop progressing, you go three days. You know? What do you do with your average client when they're already training four days a week? You know, you've got to go, it starts to become, you know, harder to progress. So I think going slower has a lot of advantages as far as giving you room to move in the future and preventing injury. You get, get a little bit more time to adapt. Yeah, well. you know. Yeah, we, ta- we take a similar approach, probably not as extreme, but we definitely, we, we push uh, the, 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 uh, the intensity level that people work at when they first join the gym. One of the first things we say is all you have to do is get through the front door and don't set any, like, any, any standards for yourself after that. Like just come in, move a little bit, get used to the training, get used to the environment, take your time because it's like at the start of a marathon more so than a, you know, an eight-week challenge or something like that. We want that foresight that's going to be like, where, where's my body going to be in, in 10 years' time and how is it going to be functioning uh, if I'm hitting the ground, sprinting on my first day of training? You know, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Yeah, I think you've got to manage that expectation, but too, you know, when so you're, you've got yeah. to give them a little bit of what they want yeah. and what they need. So just say I'm designing a program for a dude and he's come in and he wants to get bigger. Well, I'm thinking, okay, I need to check out a lot of shit before I smash you, right? Mm. Um, but then you want to retain the client, yeah? So what I might do then is do what you said, you know, we have a good talk, we see where they're at, um, make sure that you know, there's no real things that are preventing us from training. But then I might smash them on biceps. <laughs> so basically they're going to walk out they're going to go, oh my god that guy's really good I'm sore I can't move my arms they're not going to get injured on bicep curl yeah and we've spent the majority of the time um what sussing out what they need and so you can give them both <clears> if you're intelligent <throat> you know <clears throat> you can give them a bit of both give them a bit of I think it's important too that people don't service the client like most people want to look better and then they come to a trainer and the trainer's like, oh, well, I'm going to improve your functionality or... Yeah, but I want to look better. No one, no one comes to a gym to look worse. And I think trainers <laughs> have got this real thing about <laughs> they don't want to be seen to be yeah, doing no. that. Yeah. Well, if someone wants to look better, help them look better. That'll yeah. improve their confidence. Confidence is part of it. It's um, part of it. That will probably flow mm. through to they start looking better, they start eating better, mm. they feel more happy and then you can get to move better because they trust you because you service their goal you know if i come into a gym to look better and you go oh no but you're not moving right i'm like i didn't ask for that i wanted to look better she should be able to do both Mm, mm. you know what i mean so yeah if you wanted to structure a session like in a gym like what you guys have got you might do like a trap bar deadlift or a deadlift then you might do a single leg exercise like a bulgarian split squat. And then you go, right, we're going to do barbell 21s. So you've given them a functional outcome, haven't you? But you've also given them what they need, what they wanted. What they what? wanted was bigger guns. <laughs> How does the barbell 21s go? Well, you know, like, guys never like seven it. at the bottom. We're doing yeah, like swell Fridays. Paulie's never yeah. hung out for a long time in a commercial gym. <laughs> no. he didn't does that, that make that sense? <laughs> what, like, what's the Yeah, the format? only... The only thing with that, and I totally agree, but it's, I guess, the, for us, looking at your clientele 
and our clientele are kind of different yeah. for the most yeah. part, right? And you don't, you don't look at us three and go, I want fucking big arms, yeah. so I'm going to go to those guys. But you guys are servicing your clients based on what they want, aren't you? Totally, yeah, but, but it also... That's what I'm course. talking about. Like These people are getting clients who are coming to them saying, I want abs and I want biceps, whereas the vibe in here is different. You know, People are coming here for something different. And you're, you're, you're giving them what they want, aren't you? Yeah. You're not giving them something different. No, no, Whereas that's I'm, right. So I'm talking about people who are getting... Especially in commercial gyms, the majority of people walk through the door of a commercial gym, they walk through there to look better. And then they're getting, like, screened so they can do overhead squats. Like, dude, <laughs> who cares if I can do overhead squat or not? I want to look better so I can pull a chick on the weekend, you know? <laughs> well, service the client. Don't... I'm a functional trainer, so... It's like your goals are more important than the clients. How the fuck does that work? You know? So, yeah. Should a client just do aesthetic training? Probably not. But if that's what they want, that should be a big part of what you give them. Don't make your goals more important than the client's goals, man. That's, that's not on, I don't reckon. Yeah, that's a great point. You know? And like, yeah, so... If you, I mean, I would think people that walk through the door of this gym are looking for something different. And you guys are giving them that. You're not giving them the opposite of what they're looking for. And that tends to happen so much, you know. Uh, what do you want? I want? I want to look better. But then you're going through all this functional movement screen and shoulder mobility. And mm. it's like, dude, you know, put me on the leg press and the bench press and just give me a little bit of functional stuff at the end. I can move okay, you know. Mm. I think if you train through a full range of motion uh, and you do a little bit of free weights, you've got a more functional person. You don't have to go overboard with that. No, like I can you, agree with that. You look at your average sedentary person who doesn't train and then if you put them on a bodybuilder program, you've got a more functional person, you know, without a doubt. You don't have to, just because in exercises... Mimicking movement in life doesn't always mean it's the best choice. You know, I think you got to think. All right, I would, it's like oh, how we used to train sports people. You know, you get them in the gym and you do like cable twisting movements with tennis. Wood yeah? chop, wood chop, T five hundred wood chop, and uh, the whole <laughs> pull check style of training. And then what we found was everyone got weaker and. <laughs> No one progressed. And then all of a sudden went back to powerlifting. Hyperfunctionality. Yeah. Does that make sense? And yeah. All of a sudden... I mean, yeah, the pendulum you, swung, you, didn't it? What do you think makes someone better? Did I tell you the story I had with that CrossFit coach about rope slams years ago? It no. was, um, we were talking, he was talking about training. I, I, can't, I can't really remember. He was, it was a group of us hanging around and then he was, he was, ripping, on, uh, he was ripping on rope slams. And I mean, we, we, you know, I don't feel particularly passionate either way about rope slams. But um, he said, fucking rope slams, man. The only, the only function that I can see a rope slam serving is if you were to like, you know how you like put a sheet on the bed and you like whip <laughs> the sheet out onto the bed. And I was like, fuck, bro. Like, that is ridiculous. totally missed the point. Like you've, you've, you've jumped on that functional bandwagon so long ago and you're so deep uh, down the track you know like there was just too many things for me to address almost and he ended up coming around to it it's like okay maybe it's not that terrible <laughs> that's one, but, one, but yeah. it was just interesting like the, the dogma behind everything has to replicate exactly what what you're supposed to do in life 
Yeah, well, I mean, if you're playing rugby league, you know, you're tackling people a lot, yeah? Do you need to tackle a dumbbell in the gym? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're doing tennis, you're doing... If you're playing tennis, you're doing 10,000 rotations a week hitting the ball, aren't you? Do you need to do more rotations in the gym? You could probably argue that what you want to do in the gym is anti-rotation. It's the opposite, yeah. Mm. press and... So I think we went too sports-specific and instead of and then, you know, now we're, let's just get the dude stronger. If you go through a period of strength training on basic movements and you don't lose mobility, that transfers into being a better person and a better athlete. You know, don't get caught up in the, the details. And again, if something's simple then the person's able to do it better, there's less chance of injury and that parlays into a stronger person and a better person and that's functional, isn't it? What do you think about handstands, Chad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are they coming along? Well, well, man, it's probably fun, but I can't think of anything less functional, you know? Unless you're not going to be able to use your legs. You're it's never not going to get you out of a zombie apocalypse. You, you, <laughs> That's if, for sure. If you, if you can't use your legs, then you, you want to start to walk on your hands. You know? So when Good for Instagram. But, but, I mean, those things are fun, yeah? Like but that's context in itself, isn't it? Like you got to you got to enjoy your training, yeah. and if you're getting something out yeah. of that, then it's 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 good for you. you know? I think there's a market for different stuff and fun. You know, is it functional? No, but is it more fun than doing a shoulder press on a Nordless shoulder press machine? Probably, yeah. Yeah, you could you could maybe argue that it's slightly more healthy for you. Based on the balance element and the stability element, I guess depending a, on who's doing it as well. Then the machine shoulder press, mm. for sure. You, you know? can do it outside. You can do it with it'd, friends. It'd be mad to see like a hammer strength handstand machine. You just <laughs> fucking <laughs> get in there and just fucking hold Upside it. Down. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing something for fun. You know, I think that's hell a, no. Yeah, well, that's what most bodybuilders do. Right? What they do, I mean, you got to enjoy it. That kind of sport to, oh. to put that kind of pressure on your body. When you're dealing with hypertrophy, like tra- let's say you're training someone for hypertrophy and then you're training somebody for bodybuilding, what are the, what are the two differences there? Like we want to be we, – we, like we got people in the gym want to get bigger. I know Joe's always on the, on, the, on, the, on the big train, you know. I've, I've gone on it plenty of times before. But, um, but I've never had any interest in being a, in being a bodybuilder. Um, do you see a difference between training somebody for hypertrophy or training somebody for, for bodybuilding competition and what are they if yeah, you've got them? I think it's completely different. Uh, I think for bodybuilding, you're looking at winning the poses. Right. If you win the poses, you win the show. Hmm. So you're training to, you know, so from a side-on pose, you might be looking at hamstring and rear delt as very important muscles to give you thickness when you stand side on, yeah, to win that pose, right? Whereas mm. I think for general hypertrophy, you know, you're just looking at, for you know, let's be honest, for most people it's a big upper body. Like how many guys really want massive wheels and massive quads? I wouldn't mind. You know what I mean? I but, you know, let's be honest, you know, 
Around like, here they do. <laughs> only because we ridicule them if they got <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like we call them Tiara. It's oh, oh, no, no. so rude. <laughs> for, for Small but they're fierce, bro. Bro, 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 bro heaviest, heaviest quads are Jungle Brother. For someone who Dexter's just wants to look good, you're looking at more of a beach body, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, i gotta, yeah. I got to disagree in that regard because we only, only for, for us, for who we deal with, for what we're interested in, beach bodies are not a thing. And that's just because the, the stuff that we're interested in doing, like grappling and all those and tie boxing, if you don't have, you know, mass and some stability down the bottom, it's not going to work out. You know, yeah. but I don't disagree with you that for the standard gym goer. Yeah. yeah. That well, it's like, look, I just want to look better at a bar. Yeah. You for know? people you, that just want to look better. But again, that's not what you guys are about. You know? Yeah. Um, you guys are making people, and I like the whole idea of that, what you guys do, you know. But... Again, that average person that just wants that beach body, he's not going to train somewhere like this, you know? Yep. He's going to want his machines and he's going to want a, more mirrors. Yep. <laughs> Where's the mirrors, guys, you know? <laughs> That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, no, no, no mirrors here, I'm not training. Yeah. So, yeah, you just got to look at servicing the client and I think that just gets lost, you know, that if people are... If you are looking at the client as, you know, it's like if I went into a hairdresser and said, I want my hair blonde, and you went, no, no, I'm going to give you a crew cut instead. You know, well, that's not what I wanted. So you've got to service the client, but then you have responsibility as a professional to try and ingrain some basics of, yeah, it's okay to have big biceps, but do, do you do something for your lower back? You know? Do you do something to make sure you're ticking those boxes from nutrition, stress, things like that. That's what's important. It's important for you to have some some ethics behind what you do, but it shouldn't come before what the client wants. You know, service the client, get their trust, and then move forward with what you think they need. So, Chad, um, when you're... Let's say we're moving into the bodybuilding realms, and I've watched you train bodybuilders before, in uh, and then um, I've seen uh, in comparison to like a traditional bodybuilding coach, um, there's a lot more. It seems like there's a lot more of a strength element. Like when you're talking these big numbers, like 240 kilo deadlift, I don't. The first thing I think of are, are usually athletes or powerlifters, but the last thing that comes to mind is a, is a bodybuilder. Um, do you do you have a different take on the way you you train your guys up for comp, or is this something that's specific to you, or have I just kind of missed a, a jump in the the evolution of bodybuilding training? I think or with um, natural bodybuilders, strength is far more important, and I train the majority natural bodybuilders. So, how do you measure uh, progression? And that's going to be measured by strength improvements on the big compound lifts. So for natural bodybuilding, that's just such a key element. You need to get stronger. Yeah. Um, when you start to use anabolics, it's just not as important. You know, you can get bigger um, without that. Now, I'm not saying it's better. If you do those kind of big movements and get stronger and take steroids in, that's going to create a better athlete without a doubt. 
but anyone would know that you don't need to do that. You just take more trend. That's unfortunately that's the that's the way society is at the moment. Everyone's looking for a quick fix. And, you know, in bodybuilding, unfortunately, it's a lot easier to take a little bit more of a substance than it is to train harder. And it works. It's no doubt that if you take uh, enough stuff, you will get growth, you know. So that tends to take away that element of hard training. But that doesn't apply to natural bodybuilders. If you're a natural bodybuilder and you want to get bigger, that's hard work, man. And you need to, you know, your numbers need to go up, you know. And as a coach, you should be looking at, how do I know my program's effective? Well, my client got stronger, you know. There's got to be a measurable outcome, hasn't there? And the one way you measure that, and the best way to measure that is improvements in strength. Mm -hmm. If I put on five kilos of muscle, I should be stronger. <coughs> Otherwise, I've got some very unfunctional muscle <laughs> hanging around my body it's not contracting it's not doing anything you know mm. so yeah yeah for me because I train majority natural bodybuilders I think yeah it's much more important that they show improvement in their numbers for sure plus I, I just personally like that as well I like to see someone you know not all show have a bit of go as well yeah so being, being around like the bodybuilding circuit and just witnessing changes that have taken place over the years and um, being involved in, you know, putting people on stage in that, what, what, do, you, what do you think, is there anything about the, the scene that you don't like, like a, or that you feel needs, needs to change or? Uh, there's no, too much drugs. Yeah, too many people take too much. When uh, you get the same results with less. And then, uh, you know, you've got people who... Genetically, there's only a certain amount of people who are really going to make a name for themselves in the sport. But you've got a lot of people who are prepared to jeopardise their health to compete in a sport where there's no money. And genetically, they're not really, let's be honest, going to go very far. But they're quite prepared to take huge amounts of substances... That's a big problem, I think, you know. Yeah. And that's not even in the sport. That's even in, you know, you, you're festival trainers, you know. People who are trying just to look good to go to a festival or go to the beach with their shirt off and they're, they're taking a lot of drugs and jeopardising their health just to look better on the weekend. It's like, whoa. I think mixing recreational drugs and steroids together for a long time and it's going to cause some problems down the track, you know. Cool. And there's a big link these days between recreational drug use and bodybuilding. Yeah, you, you, uh, you see a lot. Well, there was that, Mit was it Mitos? Was it Mitos? What's that guy's name that died in Thailand? Oh, young, yeah. Young fella. Uh, mm. Ziz. Ziz. Yeah, it's the one. Yeah. That so kind of opened up a bunch of... Bunch of uh, Topics. Yeah, so I think there is that definite link between steroid use and recreational drug use. And, yeah, they're two things that probably shouldn't be mixed together, you know? Yeah, I, I barely take Panadol when I get a headache. Yeah. I tend to think I need to either sleep or have more fluids, things like that. So the, the idea of doing 
both of those would scare the shit out of me. Yeah, I tend anything that has freaking too many ingredients on it. They tend to go hand in hand. I think, um, yeah, yeah, right. Also, these days people don't max out their natural potential before they take drugs as well. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely in the old days people used to train for a fair few years, and then they go, oh, "All right, I might take the next step," and it was seen as a serious step to expose yourself to steroids. Yeah, okay. You Whereas know? now it's a little more socially kind of now acceptable. it's like every second guy in the gym's doing it. So I don't think people think twice about taking those things now. It's it's less of a of a step and more of a shortcut. Yes, yeah, more of an expectation. Yeah. Oh, you've been training for six weeks. It's time for you to get on the gear. You know. And that's probably not a good thing. What about what about your experience, your personal experience with steroids? Have you have you like used before yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. So you've got to be honest. I'll be open about that. I'm quite happy to say, yeah, I've tried a lot of things. I've also been on HRT, but I never had anything till I was thirty. Right. And I'd trained for ten years before then. You know. So I don't think that applies to many people these days who have trained for ten years, come from a sporting background, and then they take their first. Sort their first exposure to steroids is thirty years old. You know what would you let's say we've got you know young aspiring um, athletes that that are thinking about going down that path, because obviously it's it's something that's happening a lot. And I mean you read in the papers, you can see it in most gyms you walk into, standard gyms. Uh, what what would you have to say to to, to say a young fellow that's thinking about going down that path? Yeah, I think if you're just looking to train, um, just max it out your natural potential first. And then if you really, really had a decent go and you think you can't progress anymore and you're, you know, well, personally I think you're over 25, um, then, you know, have a think about a very, very small amount of that I don't think is really going to be harmful at all. But yeah, people just don't take that approach. What would what would um, what would like having a decent go be? Like you said, over twenty five. But say someone just started training no. at at twenty five. Yeah, you know, so one or two like, mil of testosterone. No, I know. I mean, max. like maxing out the the natural potential. Would that I think you think like a couple of years of training consistently? It just depends on you know, So when how how do you define if someone's a novice trainer or not? You know, in my opinion, it means that they no longer respond in a linear fashion to a training program. So I know people that have been training in the gym for 10 years who are still novices because their training structure has been that bad. Sure. But I know people that have trained with a trainer for three months and they're advanced. Like if you train with a, with a really good trainer four days a week for three months... And you got the gene, and you got yeah. a sporting background, Chances and you got nutrition, are, and you got your sleep. Chances yeah. are, you need to start looking at a periodized program, you know. So if you're just been fucking around the gym and doing biceps, and you you might be three years in, but you haven't gone anywhere near maxing out your potential because mm. you've had no real structure to how you train. Mm. So I think a good definition of a novice is someone who needs some kind of periodization in their program because they've stopped progressing. And that could be in many different timelines for that. 
and then only once they've they've done some computerized programming for a few years. Yeah, you think that's kind of maxing out natural potential for sure. You know, I mm. think I think they said you should be able to put on about ten percent over a certain amount of time, and that's your natural potential. So if you're naturally fifty kilos and you start training, you should be able to put on five kilos of muscle. Okay, and that's around roughly where you're at. But genetics plays a part in that. Some Could be a little be, more. Yeah, but you know. That's where your that. body wants to. That's where your body's yeah. ha- happy to sit. Yeah. Before yeah. you start pushing it into yeah. into a place that it doesn't potentially want to hold on to. Yeah. So roughly almost 10%. in an unnatural uh, an unnatural state. When you think way. about it, ten percent of your total body weight in extra muscle is not a bad. It's a lot. Little gain. Yeah. It's, it's visually it's visually oh, yeah, a lot. Totally. I mean, ten percent of body weight is different to ten percent of. Muscle, pure yeah, muscle. Yeah, so that's, that's muscle. So that's that's what I would think from what I've read is whatever your weight was to start with before you started training, 10% of that has lean muscle on top of that and that's about your natural potential. That's a good little... Yeah. I'm going to work off. I'm looking at 99 kilos. Oh, shit. Big coconut, bro. Kilos. Yeah. But you know, you look at people like Lottie Zakiri, like... And they said he put on an incredible amount of muscle in two months. But yeah. you just don't know, you know. I think most professional sports these days, the idea of whether they're actually natural or not is probably a bit sketchy. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Look at Serena Williams and Rafael Nadal. Yeah. Tell me that they've been natural their whole career. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. If you think so. <laughs> Tennis players didn't look like that before. Yeah, yeah, well, lots changed. You well, know. you um, recently put up a really a, quite a heartfelt post up on on Facebook um, that uh, was uh, you, re- you opened up about a few things in your personal life. Yep. Um, do you want to just talk, have a little chat about that? Yeah, yeah. So I have my prostate. So obviously we talked about before about blood work. So I believe in getting blood work done, so obviously I get my own done. And because I'm on hormone replacement therapy, one of the tests they do is your PSA. So my PSA was slightly high. Uh, They combine that with other tests like biopsies and MRIs and things like that. So they discovered a little growth, um, basically prostate cancer. And so the norm is, all right, we're going to take that out straight away. Uh, And then I was like, okay, well, shit, you know, that's pretty young to be possibly having the implications that go along with that Mm. Um, which is you know erectile dysfunction blah blah things like that so I looked into it a little bit more and I found that um, a lot of the new research is saying that maybe you're better off to just watch and see and see what happens before you act and I mm. think in the medical community, there's maybe a, a lot of that that happens in the... Um, and I don't want to tell anyone, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not telling anyone... Any recommendations. ...how to me- yeah. recommend their, or what to do in their personal... But what I do recommend is investigate, you know? Investigate your health yourself, you know? Get second opinions. Don't always just jump at what the doctor says... You know, because it's your body. The doctor's seen maybe 100 patients that day, you know, and your when it's your body at stake, you want to be sure. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, emerging evidence that perhaps with prostate cancer, we don't always need to take the prostate out. We can have a little look at it and just make sure it doesn't progress because the big danger is obviously that spreading from the prostate into other parts of the body. Mm. Yeah. How, so. how long ago did you find that news out? Um, about 18 months ago. Yeah. So what, what's happening at the moment? Just, can I ask? Just yeah, observing constantly it. Um, observing it, getting uh, scans done to see if it's bigger, getting blood work done to see if your PSA is progressing. And I've got a little, um, a little regimen I'm doing to try and prevent it, but I don't really want to talk about that because... I think that I want to encourage people to self-diagnose or self-treat. Mm-hmm. Um, if people wanted to PM me, I could maybe get into a chat about that. But given my status as a personal trainer, I don't think I should start talking about how to treat prostate cancer yeah, yeah, <laughs> on sure. a podcast. Yeah. But um, one thing I would say is just if you get something or you have a health issue investigate it yourself too you know do you um like i'm and i'm sure look i the, the statistics about of, of males getting prostate cancer is pretty high uh, uh, but um going back to your use of steroids do you ever think that that potentially that the use of of some kind of ergogenic aid or growth hormone over time is potentially added to the symptoms that you've got or do you think that that's just something that's unrelated or...? Well, again, that's probably something I shouldn't talk about, but when do you normally get prostate cancer? I don't know much about it myself. It tends to be something you get when you're older, yeah? When your, when your testosterone drops. Yeah. Um, so there is some new evidence or theories or whatever you want to call it coming out that perhaps they could use higher testosterone as a way to fight the progression of the disease. Um, but then if you're looking at substances like growth hormone and things like that, I think, yeah, the jury's out as to whether they actually might promote growth of... Cancerous cells. Yeah, so... Just don't know enough. Yeah, I think, yeah. But I'd, I wouldn't believe that just taking an anabolic substance like testosterone... Um, would increase your likelihood of prostate cancer. It definitely would increase your likelihood of prostate hypertrophy. But I don't see if that... Well, you, that that's a big thing. <laughs> Is that, that something for real? Yeah, it's something for real. Oh, yeah, shit. Totally, yeah, 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 wow. Yeah. Yeah. So when they talk about the anabolic and androgenic effects of steroids, what they're talking about is the anabolic effect is um, the amount that particular steroid helps you grow anabolic. And the androgenic effect is the effect it has on your body is in you know, hair loss, hair growth. And mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things they use to measure that is increases in size of the prostate. So that's an androgenic effect from steroids. Yeah, so it's quite common for bodybuilders to get prostate hypertrophy and obviously they need to wee a lot more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> due to that. Yeah, so again, um, I'm not a doctor, I'm not 100% up on that but from what i know uh i wouldn't think there's a direct link between anabolic substances and prostate cancer no but um 
yeah, I don't know how much research there is on that, you know. Okay. Yeah. So... I think definitely these kind of things seem to be increasing in society. Uh, all different types of cancers, you know, so... Number of different changes in um, in in the life of a human now, yeah, though, isn't yeah. there? So, so many who factors. Knows, yeah. Where who you knows live. if there is a link? We're living for longer as well. You know? oh, yeah. yeah, I think. Um, what about like the uh, life expectancy of a power athlete? Like, I've never really done any research on it, but there's always that that talk about anyone that deals with like heavy lifting or explosive, uh, you know, hundred meter sprinters and um, you know. Rugby players, NFL players, that that the the strain the strain you put your body on over time ends up lowering your life expectancy. Is this just a myth, or is it something that yeah, that sense, that, the big, that these athletes know when they go in and they're like, right, they just take the glory over the potential. I you know, it makes sense because um, what happens? Look, think, think about your, your typical, um, not typical because it's unusual, but you think about your average or your the 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 stereotype person who lives for a really long time is usually a real skinny, frail person, you know. And you look at your testosterone starting to drop around thirty. So, how many jack dudes do you see that are eighty and ninety? Yeah, it's true. You know, so I just think part of the way the body survives is by reducing the amount of lean muscle. It has to maintain. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and, you know, you see a decline in your body's ability to build muscle as you get older. And I think there's a link between that and longer life expectancy. Putting less stress on uh, on the vitals. You got to look at, all right, what's Mm. the difference between life expectancy and quality of life? So you go, all right, well, I'm better off if I don't train and my metabolism is super slow and. I'm a vegan and, yeah, all those things are going to mean I'm going to live longer, but well, what kind of life is it going to be, you know? If you're less robust, you're less strong, um, you know, you're avoiding things that um, might challenge your system a little bit more, you might live longer, but it's not going to be a necessarily better life. So I think that's a yeah. You got to weigh that up, haven't you? You know, mm. it's so, all about balance, then, isn't it? At the end of yeah, the day, finding yeah. a balance. And then you know, most people are dying, I suppose, of you know, things. not moving. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, you know. I guess you'd so you'd have to say that the life expectancy of a power athlete far outweighs the life expectancy of somebody who lives a sedentary lifestyle. Yeah, and or an obese person. And, yeah, yeah. So. I don't think you'd have to check stats. It just depends. Because they do say that it's better to obviously train and try and keep as much muscle as you can. But you just... A super jacked bodybuilder and a 70-year-old guy who's trying to maintain lean muscle to have some life quality and... Well, they're completely different things, you know? Like carrying around an extra 20 kilos of muscle is not normal, you know? No, so you can't compare that on the, to on the system. So you don't want to start spreading the message that if you're trained to get bigger, it's going to shorten your life expectancy. But yeah, if you're jacked and you know lifting incredibly heavy weights, and well, you fit that criteria. 
Like, yeah, and, and, I, and I'm just saying that as an honest thing. Like, for you, like I'm putting myself into your into where you're where you are now with your life and reflecting back on the the, the loads that your body has been put under, um, the, the 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 steroids, and then now with the cancer scare to look back at that and think, um, taking taking that the quality of that life that you enjoy because obviously you're passionate about it, um, and then now. If if there was a potential uh, relation between uh, that that approach to your training shortening your your average lifespan, do you look back at that? Would you change anything, or do you or you, you just just mm. love it? Yeah, no, nah, definitely not. Yeah, it's like that classic thing they did with the Olympic athletes, where they said you could take a pill and you win a gold medal and you'll die in ten years. And I think seventy eight percent of them or something said. Yes. Give me to the pill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think, no, nah, I don't have any regrets on, on that. Um, yes, quality versus quantity, you know. Yeah. And just living the life you want, you know. So, but you got to think if it might be different if I had kids. Yeah, okay. Know, things like that. And then you're looking at, yeah, well, maybe I'd, maybe I'd even approach my issue with the prostate differently Different. if I had those kind of things, you know, but I don't. I don't so You can't know. Until, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I definitely think there's a big difference between training to be healthy and have a reasonable amount of lean muscle and being a bodybuilder is completely different. They're extremes, you know. Yeah, okay. So all people should be weight training because that's going to help them live longer. But training to be a bodybuilder and having a massive amount of muscle... Probably different, not. yeah, yeah. Any 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 sport, any extreme sport, or you know, you look at anyone who's been an elite athlete, trade off later on in life, they're walking around a bit funny or they're suffering in some way or other from that, you know, pushing the body to the limit. There's consequences to everything you do in life, isn't there? You know, mm -hmm. you got to accept that. Or you live in Cotton Wool and in fear, you know. And you don't want to do that, do you? No. Yeah. So, just uh, now, getting on, we probably want to wrap it up. Uh, we're talking like, let's say if we had like three main takeaways for somebody who just wants to build some lean muscle mass. What are your, th what are your three, three big keys? Yeah, again, uh, just be consistently training. Um, consistency Yeah Consistency Trying to get stronger Strength And um, Having a healthy diet Nutrition Yeah Nice Yeah, yeah. So I think they, they And just Keeping it simple You know Not trying to do A whole heap of complex stuff And Yeah Just consistently Pushing yourself Recovering well and being healthy, you know, I think. But one thing people tend to think about is, oh, if I do cardio, it compromises my weight training. Well, I think your cardiovascular system's a system of the body. So, if it's running well and helping you to be healthier, to me, that's going to help you to be bigger. You know, don't try and section off systems of the body. Think of the body as a whole. And the more healthy the body is as a whole, 
again, especially for a natural person, the better off you're going to be in whatever you're trying to do in life. You know? Nice. Yes. So let's say somebody wants to, Chad, you do some online work with, um, with anybody or is it just a, you have specific client base or? Yeah, pretty much with anybody. Yep. Yeah. You know, do weight loss, to athletes, to a lot of stuff with personal trainers. Yeah, so training trainers, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, how would someone get in contact with you? Uh, I've got a Facebook page, Body Smart Training Systems International, and uh, Instagram, Chad Body Smart Trainer. There you go, yeah. get on it, get a, get a follow on there. And I know that you're dropping a few little knowledge bombs here and there, so there's always some some good good stuff floating around on on your account. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, I help some people to understand a little bit about what it takes to. Put on a bit of size and happy to come out and visit you guys. It seems like you're doing a good good thing out Yeah, here. thanks for coming out. Yeah, no problem. It's good. Awesome, Chad. Thank, thank you for your time. And I'm sure that the, whoever's listening is going to take a couple of, couple of good little, little tips there and, and, and the insight into your life is also uh, very nice of you to share that with us. Yeah, cheers, bro. No problem. Thanks a lot, Chad. Appreciate it.